ahead, please be seated. So he said I can go wherever I want? How's, yeah. how's Olive Garden sound? Okay. Maybe later. How many of you are here tonight? Half of them, anyway. Well, let me ask you another tough question. How many of you are in ministry? You got it right. If you didn't raise your hand, you need to get saved. Because if you're born again, you're called of God. The honest answer is, I don't know what I'm called to. That's, that's okay. But if you're born again, you're called of God. That's where you start. I was listening to the... I mean, I love the worship, but I was... As the worship was going on, I was engaging with the Lord and talking with Him. And, and um, you know, I can tell when God's pleased by the smile on His face. And there's an excitement in His smile, in His heart. We transitioned into something this year that's never before been witnessed on planet Earth. There's been a supernatural shift that's beginning to unfold in ways never before seen. And, you know, one of the journeys the Lord's taken me on has been a journey of discovery over the years. I've been fascinated with past revivals, the history of revival, and I've, I've researched and studied it all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know the revivals in the Old Covenant? Revive them, God. Where's the amen corner? I was just curious. Uh, so, but as I studied the revivals, and you, you, you listen to people, they're always saying, oh, I wish we could have another Azusa Street. We want another Smithton. We want another... No, you don't. Here's what the Lord told me. He said, every past move of God, every past revival was a birth pang pointing towards a final great awakening. And you can take every past move of God there has ever been, and you can study some of the things the Lord did were extraordinary, but you can multiply that over a hundredfold for what's about to take place. You can take every past mantle that has ever been manifested on the earth, and many that never were, because lives were cut short. And God's releasing them this generation. Now, seed time and harvest. The mantle Moses walked in had a type of coming to fruition in the life of Yeshua, Jesus. But at the end of the age, what started out as a seed is going to exponentially explode into maturity in this generation. You follow this all throughout Scripture, and you begin to see a fulfillment that has never been witnessed before. And we can say it this way. Most of you have heard this. A coming forth of mature sons and daughters of God. But what does that look like? What does that look like? Jesus. Now, even the life of Jesus. Jesus said this, the works that I do, you can do also, Right? We're very familiar with that. because. But do you know in the Aramaic and the Greek, that's the continual present tense? The works that I'm doing currently, you can do also. Wow. We're always looking backward, 
And we're trained to look backward at past moves, past revivals, past... But God's saying, no, 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 no. Stop looking back, forgetting those things which are behind. Look at what I'm doing now and what I'm about to release. And what he's doing now, wow. For instance, do you know, as we've traveled many nations, Rushman, this is my heart, my honey. We've traveled to, I've traveled over 35 nations. She's traveled to how many now? 27. She's a slave driver. I mean, drive. But that's her call. She, God took her out of Fiji and center of the world. But we've watched and seen the unfolding of a prophetic generation coming forth. And there's, we're witnessing things we have never dared see before. And one of the things, we've been to many Muslim nations, and there are millions of people now coming to a saving knowledge of God because Jesus is appearing to them. Yeah. And the works he said, I do. So what's he doing? He's stepping from that realm into this realm, presenting himself as the Son of God, and he's stepping back into that realm. And Jesus said, the works that I do. You have access. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I agree with you. Be it done unto you according to your faith. But as far as we're concerned, we walk in this. You know, the man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man with the theology. That's got to line up with Scripture. But what he's doing is extraordinary. And you have access. And it's not to a select mystical few that have reached the pinnacle of spirituality and all that foo-foo. If you're born again, it's yours. So we start introducing people to Christ with an understanding of what is theirs the moment they accept Jesus. You're going to be born again. You're going to be a new creation. Old things are going to pass away. Everything in your life becomes new. You're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to be able to see God and talk to Him face to face. You're going to be able to go where you... No man's gone before. You build that from the doorstep before they step in, and instantly they walk in it. Expectation releases the kingdom. And so we've got to change... The way we do church. Let's, matter of fact, let's get rid of that word church. We're the ecclesia, the called out, the set apart ones. We've got to get away from a religious institution. Who wants to live in an institution? And we've got to move into a relational reality with God that will transcend everything we've ever known. Amen. Hanging out with Jesus is, is the only thing I ever want to do. Reshma says, if you had your way, you'd go live on a mountaintop and be alone with God. I said, yeah, can I? problem is he's down here with everybody else so so we've got to begin to think differently we've got to unpackage the you know what PhD means right piled higher and deeper you got to dig your way out of that mess to get back to the foundation of simplicity in Christ been there done that I love the study of the word of God but I tell you what I, I hate commentaries Why? Because it's religious protocol. It's an intellectual understanding. It's not a spirit revelation. 90% of the time. But I don't want to wade through the 90% to get to the 10% of, oh, there, okay, that was good. 
I just read the Botanica, but you know. <laughs> so just spending time with Jesus is tremendous. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, why I'm so weird. I'm Canadian. <laughs> Canadian by birth, American by choice, and a citizen of heaven by grace. But I always had this perceiver gift, this prophetic gift in my life. Before I was, my first prophetic word was when I was four years old. I turned to my brother and sister. We were playing in our living room in Canada, and I stopped and said, it's going to be neat to be here when Jesus comes back. They said, who's that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> From that day on, the devil tried to kill me innumerable times. I mean, I fell out of a car moving down the road as a 40... Pneumonia, undiagnosed things that almost killed... I mean, on and on, it doesn't matter. And then 10 years later, when I was 14, I saw Jesus. I saw the manifestation of Jesus, I should say. See, I was brought into the kingdom by seeing a supernatural manifestation. I saw the glory of God on my dad. He had just given his life to God. And I knew God was real. See, that set me up for a lot of questions because nobody preached to me. I, knew, I saw that and said, God's real. I went in my room and asked that God into my heart. But you can't get saved unless a man sent to preach. Mm, that's not what that means. As a matter of fact, when I first started hearing about the visitations and people getting saved, I said, wait a minute, God. You know, I was brought up in the almost of God you know, church. And they said, nobody can get saved unless they want somebody sent to preach. And then they confess with their mouth. Which, of course, if there's anybody mute, sorry, you can't be saved. <laughs> Do you understand how the, logic eradicates reality? And he says, well, I am the word. That's why when he appears, people can get saved. I am the word. What better preach can you have than that? I said, I, I knew that. So I, I saw something supernatural. And boy, I was just hungry from this. That's a grace on my life, a passion for God. Yet that's not something I decided one day. I, I think I'll be hungry for God. You're not here because you decided that you're going to have a hunger for God. God gave you something. Doesn't scripture say he will give you the desire of your... He birthed the desire in you. He gave it to you. We always think it's because he's a genie in the bottle. Whatever I want. Woohoo! No, that's a misnomer. No, he puts a desire in your heart so he can call you into it. Faithful he's he who called who will also do it. So your passion, your longing, your, your, your desire for the deeper things of the kingdom, that's a grace on your life. That's why we can't look at those in the frozen chosen congregation and go, oh, you poor... No. We pray for them, but you know what? God gave you a grace, so don't, don't take that grace and just throw it aside and say, oh, I don't, don't do that. Because faithful is he who called. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. That's the, that's the amazing thing about God. He calls you. He equips you. He enables you. He gives you, tells you what to speak, what to think on, what to look at. And then at the end, if you just follow the instructions, the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, if you just follow that, guess what? You get the reward. He's done it all. 
and he moves in your life and you get to... What an amazing God. The only thing you have to do, this is it. Simple Christianity. If you're willing, he's able. Doesn't scripture say I can of my own self do nothing? So the only thing you can give him is your willingness. And if you're willing, he becomes your able. That's covenant, by the way. The day I found John 5, 19, where Jesus said, of my own self I can do nothing, I went, oh, thank God. (laughs) I'm in good company. He couldn't do anything. God could. What he showed us there was his absolute dependence upon the leading of the spirit of his father. There is foundation one. If you're called of God, you must be led of God. Not a program, not a doctrine, not a religious stream, not a theology, but a spirit. I've done this all over the world, sometimes to Reshma's chagrin. She's like, oh, not again. But I've asked all over the world, how many of you, especially to the pastors, you believe in being led of the Spirit? Oh, absolutely. So we go do a week or two weeks, and you know what? Every day, the exact same program. Well, we're going to have, you know, a greeting and then worship and then some announcements, maybe an offering, 15 minutes for God, whether he needs it or not, and then maybe ministry. And it's the same program everywhere you go. And I said, well, where's the leading of the Spirit of God? You have a, pro- a religious protocol that doesn't allow the, pr- the presence of God. Well, if God wants, you can interrupt. Well, there is a problem here. He doesn't even come to this church. Because you don't let him in. He doesn't dress right. He doesn't talk right. He doesn't look right. Because your religion pushes him out. So we're coming back to basic foundation. If you're called of God, you've got to be led of the Spirit, period. Amen. Everything else is superfluous. Amen, brother. Thank you. I found it, the amen section. And so I, I just had this grace on my life for desperation for God. I wanted everything. I started reading the old King James Bible. You ever read that Bible? That's like reading Swahili, man. When I first got saved and I'm reading King James, I went, what? It made zero sense. Nothing. I could read books. I, I love reading. I've, got, I've read thousands of books. I've got a huge library. But I pick up, the, and I could read all night too, you know, oh, especially if it's a good book. But I pick that thing up, and I'd be asleep in 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know where this came from God, not from me, not from my understanding. I just knew it was feeding my spirit, so I doggedly and determinedly would pick that Bible up and I go, oh. deep intercession. <laughs> and you know what? It was not long after that that the Lord spoke to my heart. And I, you know, I'm new at this, so I didn't really know it was God at the time, but this thought came Who do you think doesn't want you to read the Bible? You dirty rat. (laughs) Devil. You know what I did? I picked up my Bible. Instead of sitting to read, I said, I'm going to walk and read. If you make me tired, I'm going to read another chapter. If you keep harassing me, I'm going to read this book all night. And it stopped. That was my introduction to spiritual warfare. 
was subtle. Then I got filled with, as I saved at 14, right? Got my BA and my MA at 14, born again, made alive. I have to be careful with the BS something. <laughs> Probably had that all my life. <laughs> but I got my PhD when I was 17. Power to heal and deliver. I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I picked up the Bible when I got filled with the Spirit, and it came alive. And I, like I said, I would read from Genesis to Revelation back then, even with the dies, thou's, die. Wasn't it funny? They used to prophesy, thus saith the Lord. And I'm, I'd be listening to this and think, oh, that's how you have to do this thing. Religious, <laughs> religious lingo 101. And one day the Lord said, will you stop that? <laughs> I said, stop what? He said, I don't talk that way. I said, how do you talk? He said, normal. Just be yourself. Okay. I said, yo, I got a word for you from Jesus. <laughs> but be yourself. You know, he actually even likes you. Only God knows why, but he likes you. He does. He likes you. He gave you your personality. He has a tremendous sense of humor. He does. God has a... Just look at the person next to you. You know, he's got a sense of humor. But God has a sense... He likes your personality. Be real. Religion puts up a fake facade. Relationship means I can be myself. He still likes me whether I, you know, dress funny, act funny, look funny but he still likes me. And besides, you can't fool him anyway. You ever watch Christians, how they try and fool God? I, this is my favorite. Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Okay, now really, what's going on? Oh, well, now that you ask. But this, I laugh at that. Or the other one, God is good all the time. Well, then quit complaining. So, I was just hungry for God. And I, my dad got saved in full gospel businessmen, so I would cut class, you know, school, and I would go to the meetings because they were praying for one another and miracles were happening and things were... And my dad never got angry at me. He just said, you probably shouldn't do that. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I kept going because I wanted it all. And I'm reading the gossip, reading the whole Bible, and I said, Lord... Wherever the next place in line is behind Joseph, behind Moses, behind Josh, I want the next, I want it all. And then guess what? We went to the Almost of God Church. Well, they said they were Pentecostal. But there was more unbelief in the church than there was in the world. God can't, God won't, God doesn't. So I'd read the Gospels. Jesus would, you, you know, the formula in the church back in the 70s. and eight, You know, if we're going to have a prayer line, get the oil. Don't forget the cloth. If they're really spiritual, they'll pour it over you. I hated that. But I mean, it was a formula. But I read about Jesus. Now, James 5 does says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the Elders had to be 60 years of age, according to Scripture. 
oops. <laughs> the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if any has committed sin, they'll be forgiven. You know how many times I had people say, I'm not going to pray for that when they're in sin. That's why you're supposed to pray for them. <laughs> so, but I'd read the life of Jesus. This, this captivated me for years. Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. You want your eyes prayed for? <laughs> Get some mud. Do you know Jesus never prayed or ministered to anybody the same way twice? And I went to church. Same thing every week. And look, I'm not trying to knock a people. We only build on the foundation we've been given. That's why this time is so exciting and so awesome because God's exploding. And so... I fought for years to break out of a religious harness because I knew it was death, not life. Love the people, love the move of the... God in his mercy still moved among those people. Still does. But I know there's... I knew there was more. And I... Oh, I, that's the perceiver in me. I just knew that I knew. You know, it, the first time I, I, I felt the unction of the Spirit in church, you know, because back then it was more tongues and interpretation... And I'm like, okay, that was basic. But I, I would feel this stirring, and I go, wow, I had too much coffee this morning. <laughs> I didn't know. And then once in a while, and I had the fear of man. Boy, I wasn't going to say a word in front of anybody. So this thing would stir in me, and finally I'd kind of go, uh, okay. And I'd let loose what he'd given me, and pastor would go, amen, that's right on. And I'd go, so, you know, I started out prophetrying. <laughs> Learning. After a few years, it became a little more fluent, a little more relaxed in, in, in understanding how God worked in my life, and I was prophesying. You know, in those days, you like to clear the room. We're going to prophesy over everybody. That's so immature. That's dangerous. But then, you know, when you finally have a platform where people begin to recognize a gift and a calling on your life, you're in dangerous ground because now you have to perform and you can slip into prophesying. Yeah. <laughs> and you begin to lie, you begin to prophesy to the idols in the hearts of people, and it leads them astray. That's why there's so many confusing prophetic words out there. Because there's not a foundation. The foundation's missing. And so... Where I want to take you, Reshman, I want to take you this next couple of days, we've got to lay a foundation. But this will be revelation to you. Don't ever, ever think you're less than what Jesus says you are. And I'll give you, just before I start this, a, a, a prophetic picture that the Lord showed me years ago. Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. You know, his father was an idol maker. And he followed in his father's footsteps, and they were idol makers. And he recognized and realized these things were dead. I made them with my hands. How can they be a god? And he, there was a hunger birthed in his heart. He wanted to know if there was really a god. But you know what? What's interesting is the genealogy he had, it wasn't too far removed from Enoch and you know, all those people. So he's heard stories, but this can't be it. And then one day he hears the voice. And something triggered in him. That's the voice of God. And tradition has it that he destroyed 
every idol that was on display. And his father came and said, who did this? Who destroyed these idols? Abraham said, well, why didn't you ask them? They're gods. You know they don't speak. Then why are we doing this? And he packed up and he left. Well, here's the promise God made to Abram. I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the seas and the stars of heaven. Now, you know, he gave them a promise of descendants. How many years did he wander through the Middle East, through the wilderness, before he had his son? Over 20 years. Well over. So here's the key. This is the basic key. Everywhere Moses, or excuse me, Abram went throughout the daytime in the Middle East, what did he see? Sand. Sand. Every night, boy, if you've got no lights and you're in, a, in Israel, if you've never been to Israel, you need to go. But you shut off the lights at night and there's no city pollution, light pollution, you can reach up and touch the Milky Way. So all night, that's all he saw was stars. So the promise was continually before his face during the good times, the day, during the dark times, the night. The promise is what he had his focus on continually. When God gives you a prophetic promise from his word or through an utterance or however he wants to do it in your life, that's what you keep in front of your face. Therefore, we are in error when we run from prophet to prophet to prophet to prophet looking for words and we don't keep our focus on the word that he gave us. That's unbelief. And then we wonder why nothing ever happens. Because he can't work in, in, a, in a realm of unbelief. So you always keep the prophet. And, and I learned this young. So you know what I would do? I would write out the promises God gave me. I'd type them out and print them out on 8.5 by 11. and wherever. I'd have them all over the house. So I would have constantly in front of my face. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll tell you one of the stories. In 1998, the Lord started teaching me about favor. I studied that for quite a while. And so here's, here's, here's what I did. I took an eight and a half piece of, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and I typed on it, today is the day of the unparalleled, unprecedented, unmerited favor of God upon my life. Put it by my bed in the morning. So when I woke up, that's the first thing I saw. Put it on my closet so I went to get my clothes. It's the first thing. I, I, it was in the bathroom on the mirror so I would see it. It was by the coffee pot. I read that one a lot. Of, <laughs> and everywhere I looked, I had it in front of my face. And he began to teach me about favor. Not because I did a lot of research and study, but because I kept the promise. Because he said, I'm crowning you with favor. Yeah. So here's what, I was living in San Antonio, Texas at the time, working in IT part-time. And I knew I was released from San Antonio, and the Lord said, you're going to move. I said, okay. Didn't know where. Didn't have any money. Just making rent. That's good. Didn't even have a vehicle at that time. I just said, okay, God, I'm ready. Got a phone call from a man up in Mojave. The 
uttermost parts of the world. He said, the Lord spoke to me, and you're supposed to move to California. I said, okay. That's nice. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You come to, come up here. I'm, I'm going to buy, I'm going to pay for your, your moving truck and all the expense of moving. I said, well, that's a good sign. They at least hear God really well in California. <laughs> so I got the truck and moved and came into Mojave. And I said, okay, where's the storage? I didn't have much, but I had stuff, you know. And he says, oh, no, no. While you were on the way, the Lord told me to give you a house. I said, you guys really hear God well out here. <laughs> so he led me and we pulled up in front of this house. And I went in and looked and back room, the ceiling. And he goes, no, don't look at that because I'm going to pay for all the remodeling. I said, wow, they really hear God good out here. So, totally remodeled, gutted and remodeled, had a brand new house. Moved in. One day he comes by, he says, you know, you don't have a car. The Lord told me to give you a car. So he hands me the keys to a Corvette. I said, dear God, these people in California really are in tune with the Spirit. I got a phone call not long after that. Somebody says, look, I got this motorhome I'm not using. I want to give it to you. Okay. Another guy up in Sacramento along the river there said, hey, uh, I've got this 42-foot sailboat. We want to bless you with that. I said, wow, this favor. This is... So I started, you know, I always pray in the new year. And I, I was ministering back in Oklahoma and city and and I sat down and said, Lord, what are you saying for the new year? He said, it's a year of increase. And I went, increase? I mean, house, car, motorhome, boat, airplane. <laughs> I want a P-58 Mustang, World War II vintage. I'm going, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, give it all away. I just laughed. I got home. It took three days. You know, people love to receive. But anyway, I got rid of it and started traveling a little more, and, and I ended up in Fiji, and the Lord said, here's your increase. And he gave me my heart. And then together we had to do it all over again. God bless. See, it's favor. God's favor. You don't understand. You're crowned with favor. Do you know 90% of our prayer is doubt? Oh, God, these bills are due. What am I going to do? <laughs> Panic, of course. <laughs> Don't look at me like you're innocent. <laughs> we all go through these iterations, you know. Like, oh, oh. He said, I already told you I'd supply all your needs. What? Instead of saying, oh, God, what do I do? Say, oh, God, thank you for your provision. I don't have to sweat this stuff. That's how we've lived. Our He's never forsaken us. Oh, God, I'm sick. What do I do? I die. No. Rest. Because I said that it's yours. So, all of, the, and all of this was leading up to a place of a launching point in my life into this walk of supernatural encounter. I wanted it all my life. I wanted to see God. Brother, you can't. No man can see God and live. Ooh, did you tell Abraham that? How about Moses? I mean, we can go down the over 18 instances in the Old Covenant alone of people that saw God face to face, and you're telling me you can't do that and live. There's something wrong with your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Let me define that for you. No human being of the Adamic race will see God and live. Yeah. 
but in Christ. See, they had a relationship with God. That's why they were able to see God. They were a forerunner company of people that modeled for us true relationship with the living God. So when you accepted Jesus and became a new creation, you put off the old Adamic DNA, and now you have the Messianic DNA, and you are a new species. That's why you can see him face to face. He's your father. He's your brother. He's your bridegroom. He's your best friend. He's your king. So you have access. So everything changed. And the Lord started showing me some things that were necessary in the church that had been so sadly and sorely neglected. He said, it's, and, and, and I started looking at what he was showing me, and I said, is it any wonder the church is so weak and enfeebled and almost ineffective throughout the earth, apart from the, the mercy of God? Now, I started with this. John fourteen twelve, the works that I do... You can do also, and greater works shall you do because I go unto the Father. Now, here's the work that Jesus does right now. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Isn't it interesting and very telling that this place that's called to be a house of prayer, that's the most neglected meeting in the house is the prayer meeting. And yet he said, what I do you, this, the works I do, you can do. You're, you're called to be intercessors first and foremost. Do you know that? Yes. Let me make it even more specific. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. This should be the house of prayer. Yes. And then corporately, we can gather and make it even more extravagant. That's why Paul said to pray without ceasing. How in the world do you pray without ceasing? Some folks, it's easy. They're nonstop. <laughs> But you know what? Prayer is so basic, so simple. Worship. This was tremendous, but that's not all worship entails. Do you know that? Remember the Canaanite woman? Lord, help! Before she did that, it says, she worshipped him saying, Lord, help! That was worship. Why was that worship? It didn't, I mean, it's off key. (laughs) Didn't even use a piano or a guitar. Because it was from the heart and she recognized their only help was in the Lord. That worships God. So when you recognize the Lord in everything in your life, you're worshiping Him. Even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) Worship is different. It's not just this. And so praying without ceasing is a constant awareness and a communication with God. Matter of fact, I did a word study on prayer one year, and I, I mean, I really dug into this. You know, one of the meanings of prayer is complaint. I went, wow, God, your people com- pray more than I thought. <laughs> but it's dialogue with God. That's what it is, prayer. We've made it a religious... No, it's just hanging out with Jesus, talking with God. That's prayer. You can do that everywhere. So, he started showing me, you know, before I do, do the, here's I got to say this. The Lord never allows me to teach something or release something unless it's reality in my life. Otherwise, I'm just giving you a book report. I think you've had enough of those. He said, first, it must be formed in you before it can be released as life through you. So, 
let's start with this. In John 1, verse 12, as many as received him, that's all of us, we accepted Jesus, right? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But I was always taught, if I'm born again, I'm a child of God. But scripture says, if you've received him, you have the right to become a child of God. Hmm. That's interesting. To those who believe in his name. There's the key. In the year 2000, again in Oklahoma City, I asked the Lord, just going over the New Year's, I'm praying into the New Year, I said, Lord, what are you saying for this year? He said, I want you to study one word this year. I went, one word? Well, I'm going to have a holiday this year. I can relax. I said, what's the word, Lord? He said, the word name. Really, that's all? I studied it for 10 years. Still study it. Over 300 and I think it's 84 times in the Old Covenant, the word name means character, honor, and authority. In the Renewed Covenant, it, in every instance but one, it's character and authority. Changed my life and my understanding forever. Now, let me start with this. Everything the Lord has done from Genesis through Revelation has one purpose in mind, to bring us back into relationship with God. Relationship with God is very simple. In, in that PhD, higher education thing, you know, you learn to study the different ways that you, you can theologically approach and study Scripture. One of those mentions is this, is called the first mention principle, which... Let's get rid of that. Let's bring the scripture in. It's called Isaiah 46, 2. God declares the end from the beginning. Or the first mention principle is, the first time anything is mentioned in scripture, from that point on, every subsequent mention of that same subject, you can go back to the first mention to help you interpret. So, here, here's how simple this is. God created man out of the dust of the ground. First mention is man is equated to dust. Any place in scripture you read about dirt or dust, it's got something to do with your flesh. That'll open books of revelation for you to, as you read scripture. Then he put Adam into a deep sleep because he said it's not good for man to be alone. And out of his side, I'm going to mess with you tonight. Out of his side, he took the rib closest to his heart and he created Eve. You know what Holy Spirit said? Notice, God didn't clone Adam. But only the rib closest to his heart became his bride. The whole body is not the bride of Christ. Read the Bible. Genesis 24 says this, Abraham, who is a type of God the Father, how do you know that? Because he offered up Isaac. You could types and metaphor. I love that study. Types and symbols and metaphor. But he's a type of God the Father in Genesis 24. He calls for his eldest servant. I said, okay, who is that? 
back to Genesis 15. His name is Eliezer. You know what his name means in Hebrew? Helper and comforter. So he calls for his eldest servant. He says, I want you to go back to my family, Olam, to journey and to vanish, translate, back to my family, and from my family find a bride for my son Isaac. And journey and vanish her back here with her. Eliezer says, what if she's not willing to journey and vanish with me? Then you're free from the oath. Notice the whole family didn't become the bride. And there was a test, and I, I won't go into that tonight. See, I was stuck in a religious mode, a metaphor that I had been learnt, taught. You know, you believe certain things because they told you. But go to the Word to validate and verify and make sure that's what God actually said. I, it was funny, Bible college. They almost forgot Bible college. I, um, I had learned how to pray for people, and, you know, that was the culture of full gospel businessmen. You pray, people get healed, filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, to me, that, I, I thought that was what everybody did, especially, in a, you know, those that believed in the charis, charismatic gifts and that. So I'm at Bible college, and this friend one night comes up to me and says, man, I got a raging headache. Would you help me? I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, well, pray for me. I said, yeah, I'll pray prayed and he was instantly healed. He went, wow. Somebody else saw that and said, well, I've got this. And I prayed. They were healed. And somebody went. This went on every night. Pretty soon there's a whole group of people getting healed, filled with the Holy Ghost. And, do, and you know what? I got in trouble. Yep. <laughs> they came up to me and said, you have no authority to do that. <laughs> now, you got to understand, I'm confused. I'm naive. I'm confused. What Bible do you read? My Bible says to lay hands on the sick. And you know what he's... <laughs> you haven't finished Bible college. You haven't been indoctrinated into our stream. You have no authority to do this. I went, oh. Come on, come on. So did Peter get that memo? <laughs> he didn't go to your Bible college either. You know what he did? He hung out with Jesus. We agreed to disagree. God says go and do. The church says go and sit. Until yeah. we think you're ready. Anyway. So, the Lord began to develop something that I had never recognized before. And it took me on a journey. And so I started studying covenants because, you know, you entered into a new covenant in Christ. Now, I'm starting on a foundation here. This is the chronology of how the Lord released me to translocation, supernatural translation. It started with this, study on name. So I, I began to research this. I didn't, like I said, I didn't share this for almost 10 years. Well, seven, yeah, 10 years. It, it, because he said study it, and I, I didn't have it. I was getting it, but... And he said, look, let me help you. Study covenant. Do you know there are four major covenants in Scripture? Just, I mean, there's a lot of offshoots of that covenant, but there's four major ones. The first covenant is the blood covenant. You all are familiar with this a little bit. But a blood covenant is something that's interesting because a blood covenant is the only covenant that must be renewed every day. Well, what... Once saved, always saved. I don't ever have to ask for forgiveness again because I already asked once and he forgave me all my... 
That's from the pit of hell. Let me, let me hit you where you live. You got a best friend, you got a spouse, you got a mother, father. Try that on them. I said I was sorry 27 years ago. <laughs> Not as sorry as you're about to be. Why? Because, do you understand, to keep a relationship going, you have to be genuine and say, look, I'm sorry I offended you. I, re I, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, okay. Well, I'll forgive you. Help my unforgiveness. So what it means to, that this blood covenant must be renewed every day is this. You guard your heart. You, you make sure there's nothing coming between you and God. You, you know when you offend the Holy Spirit most of the time because you feel that, ugh. It's like, oh, God, forgive me. I repent. I mean, be quick to keep that flow open. Now, here's the other thing about covenants. Covenants build upon one another. They don't, one covenant doesn't replace another one. The truth is, you have the old covenant and the renewed covenant, not the Old Testament and New Testament. I, they got to get rid of the word testament. Because doctrines have been built upon misnomers. You know, the gospel we have in the West is a European gospel. It's not a Middle Eastern gospel. It's not the original. It's through the lens of a Western mindset. And so it's tainted with religious indoctrination. If you don't understand the culture, you're missing so much. I'll I tell you a real funny story. We, we were ministering in a... We were asked to go do a, a, a conference in Cameroon. Now, we're so busy every other place in the world, I just said, God, I don't want to go to Africa. I just don't want to go. I mean, good night. We're, we're so busy. But anyway, we ended up going and... So we'd been in African churches in America, and boy, I love their worship. They're just nuts. I mean, they're dancing and whooping, and, you know, do, it's great. We get to the venue. There's 10,000 people under a tin roof, at least 100 degrees out. <laughs> Slow bake. No fan, no air con. You know, and they all wear suit and tie. I went, are you out of your mind? I said, I am not wearing a tie. I'm sorry. That'll kill me. <laughs> but the, the, the leader of this movement, and he said, that's okay. He actually came with no suit and tie because he said, we're not doing this. And people, you could have heard a pin drop. By the way, they don't sing and dance. They're very prim and proper. Don't, we don't have catches because we don't fall down. Okay. Uh, whatever. So the, here's you got this. I said, why is it like that? That's our culture. I said, baloney. That's colonialism. That's not your culture. That's something they po foisted upon you. Right. Who are you really? So we just started teaching. <laughs> God showed up. They started hooping and hollering and standing. I mean, it was comical. They started getting slain in the spirit and caught up into heaven and all these things going on and the elders are texting the pastor tell him to stop that we don't do that kind of thing blah, 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 blah. he told me later I said really? he said yeah you don't know how hard I had to fight just to have you come here I said really? you're the first white person we've ever had here I said guinea pig I like it And they were so religious, I, I, I was dumbfounded. But God broke through. Yeah. 
because they were hungry people. Your passion is unlocking a door of discovery for you that's never been witnessed before. So the first covenant is the blood covenant. We all know that. Here's the interesting thing. When Adam and Eve sinned and fell out of favor with God, out of that first estate, they literally gave God a writing of divorce. Do you know that? He immediately slew an animal and covered them with the skin of an animal. It was called a catanaut. In the Hebrew culture, a bridal garment has four layers of fine linen. The undergarment is called the catanaut. The four layers equate to the four levels of covenant that lead you into a place of relationship just like the marital covenant they had it to begin with. So God's idea of relationship that Jesus purchased for you on the cross through a blood sacrifice was so that you could know him face to face. You define the end from the beginning. They walked with God face to face. They knew him intimately. They had the mind of Christ. They had the power of God. They had the wisdom. We could go on and on. They walked in that, and they chose to believe a lie. So that some, now here's the other thing. A covenant must be initiated by someone. God initiates covenant, and there must be somebody to receive it. Do you know it's not God's wish that any should perish? But all should come to us. So he offers the covenant to every person, but not everybody accepts it. You want to hear a crazy story? All these people that had been visited by the Lord, and he said, I'm the way, the truth, I'm the one you, and they accepted Jesus. We met a young woman. She was from Indonesia, but we met her in Perth, Australia. She said, oh, I had a visitation from the Lord. I said, well, tell us. She, yeah, he came and he told me, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the, the, the son of God and all this. And she, you know what she said? I don't want anything to do with you. Now see, for you, that's hard to believe, but you don't understand. You're still flesh. Jesus appeared to upwards of 500 people at one time, and he told every one of them to tarry in Jerusalem. How many did? You do the math. But for the grace of God, I would never do that. But the truth is we reject Jesus every single day when we don't hearken to his voice. Aren't you glad you came? The next covenant that God initiates is called the salt covenant. And, that's the, and I'll just do this briefly. The salt covenant is really simple. If, if Pastor Timothy and I wanted to enter in this, it's called a friendship covenant. Now in those days, men would carry a satchel of, of salt because it was used in, in trade. It was a commodity that was... Um, spoke of wealth and so we would just choose a day and a location and we would decide we're going to enter into this level of covenant friendship and so what we would do is we would set a meal have sit down and have fellowship and then we would take salt from each other I mean he takes salt from his pouch a pinch I take some from mine we put it into a bowl it would be mixed up we take the bread and dip it and we'd eat it now that covenant's eternal. It doesn't have to be renewed every day. It builds on the first covenant. But here you got this. Now the only way you could ever break that is if you could regurgitate, reform the grains of salt exactly as they were, redistribute them into the pot. See, it's eternal. That's cool. But you know what? You're still a servant. 
but now you're friends. So let me ask you a question. Do you think a friend has a little bit more intimacy with a master than a servant? Yeah. See, it's all about intimacy with God. The next covenant is called the sandal covenant. Where does that come? Leviticus, when he said, mark off the boundaries of your inheritance with the old sandals on your feet. So it speaks of sonship or maturity. God initiates, you enter into that. That usually comes about 30 years of age. Remember when Jesus came up out of the water? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's when he became a son of God. To those, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You can be a friend and still not walk in your inheritance. Do you know that? Just telling you. And then the final covenant is the bridal covenant. You think there's a little more intimacy there than there is in all the other three? Absolutely. So everything God does is to bring us back to this place of intimacy. So your passion, your focus should be, I want to know you, Lord. Just to hang out with Jesus. Make him your best friend. I ask this everywhere I go, and of course there's always people, I don't want to see hands. But you know, if he's your best friend, did you ask him to come here with you tonight? Don't you ask your best friend to go where you go? Hey, you want to go to the movie? Oh, well, I did that with the Lord once. Say, hey, Lord, you want to go to the movie tonight? He said, well, what were you thinking of? I said, well, how about this one? He said, no, I don't think I want to see that movie. I knew that. Yeah, okay. I mean, you stay out of trouble if you hang out with Jesus. (laughs) So, Four levels of covenant point you towards intimacy. It's all about intimacy. This generation is going to see the bride of Christ come forth. We call it the remnant. Their passion and purpose is intimacy with God. So what's that got to do with name? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Or run, yeah, run to it and are safe. The name is a strong tower. The righteous run. What does that mean? Let me give you the definition from the Hebrew. The character of the Lord is a strong fortification. The righteous are conformed to it and are safe and secure. big difference the character of the Lord is a strong fortification or tower the righteous are conformed to it and they're safe and secure wow that's vastly do you understand why this study changed my life see it's about conformity to the character the nature the essence of who he is because he says as I am That's the high calling of God in Christ, is to become like Him. Everything else is secondary. Here's the first work of Jesus that we can recognize in the renewed covenant. He divested Himself of heaven. He put off the glories of heaven and humbled Himself and came as a babe in the manger. I I don't want that work. I like the miracles. I like the spectacular. 
He submitted himself to tutors. You know, at 12 years of age, he had more wisdom and understanding than all the teachers of Israel. But he went back and submitted himself until the time appointed of the Father. That's supernatural. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That was supernatural. He humbled him. I mean, he went mute. He went as a lamb to the slaughter, not saying a word. That was supernatural. And by the way, there were some spectacular things that happened in the midst of this last three years. But for 30 years, there was a foundation of supernatural character that was invested in him so he could have three and a half years of ministry. So what do we do? Give me four years of Bible college, two years of Bethel, and I'm ready. You're dangerous. Say it again. Do you understand? We've got to get back to the reality of what he's talking Because for whatever reason, God put a grace on my life at an early age again. I, I would pray this all the time. Lord, it's not so much how I start this race. It's how I finish that counts. Lord, I want to finish well. I want, you know, I used to be a distance runner. That was my sport. And I would, sometimes you'd trip over your own feet at the big start line. Those things happen. But you know what? I want to finish well. So the Lord heard me. At 14, when I got saved, I picked up the Bible. The first scripture that ever spoke to me was Jeremiah chapter 1. By four, I formed you in the womb. I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. You talk about confused, because in the 70s, there was no such thing. I go, what does this mean? Oh, you're going to be a missionary. Maybe an evangelist. There was no paradigm for prophet, because that hadn't been restored. So God, but so he started taking me through this school, the school of the spirit, or the school of the crushing of the spirit. <laughs> Brokenness. So at 17, I was asked to be a youth pastor. <laughs> Those poor kids. <laughs> All the way up into the 80s, I got to be a youth pastor. One day something happened in my spirit. This desperation came in 1984. And I just began to cry out with all that was within me. Or 1986. I'd, I'd go lock myself in the youth room. I'd spend 8 to 10, 12 hours a day just by myself worshiping God and crying out, God, whatever it takes, I want to know you. I couldn't, I couldn't shake that thing. I thought I was going to die with this. It was so rending. And that would go on for two or three weeks, and then it would lift. And then I go, oh, you know, like I'd been rocky against the ropes here. Then I go about my daily route. You know, I, I still had a job at the time at Boeing, and oh, hell would break loose. I mean, jeez, where did this come from? And I mean, I would get pummeled for the next two or three months. And I mean, I come out of that just like bruised and battered and like, oh, my God. And this thing would well up in me again. I'd go back up to the church and spend the same amount of time. And my flesh is going, shut up already, fool. Don't you know what happens when you pray like this? But my spirit wouldn't shut up. I couldn't stop. This cycle went on, I'm really quick, for over two years. And finally, I, 
reached a demarcation line or a start line or a crossed A line. In 1989, 1 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, after all, from 1974 to 1980, you got to understand, I wanted to know him face to face. 1 o'clock in the morning, I was praying in a pastor friend's church in San Angelo, Texas, the middle of nowhere, Texas, crying out to God, and Jesus walked through the back wall. He came and he poured an alabaster jar over my head and left. Wow. All those years of people saying, no, he can't, he won't, he doesn't, was washed away. See, passion carries you where faith is weak. Faith might go, oh, I can't do it. Passion goes, you're going to die trying. Huge difference. He started teaching me about character. And I didn't even realize it. No, that's, I mean, you think I was passionate before. I saw him now. I knew it was possible. And I went through more seasons of brokenness and hell. Like, I don't even want to go into. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I sometimes wonder, God, why did it take me so long? He said, well, you know. <laughs> I'll never, I'll never be moved from what he birthed in me, though. So he started teaching me about character. In Psalm 61.3, it says, For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. How? Because I'm conformed to your character. That's how you get the tower of strength. That's how you can say, I will not be moved. Psalm 61, 5b says, You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. See, here's the word name again. To those, to those who have received him, he gave them a right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his character. You've got to understand his character in order to progress into maturity. Because d doesn't Scripture say you look into a mirror... And you're supposed to see Jesus? <laughs> but Shepherd, you look in the mirror and go, whoa. Oh, that's me. But do you understand? You keep the promise in front of you. You should make a decision. When I look in that mirror, I'm going to see Jesus in my eye. I'm going to see Jesus. You develop that in you to finally, this helps your spiritual eyes, by the way. Something shifts. So you keep the promise. You keep the script. You keep what he says in front of your face. So why don't you study character so you know what you're becoming? Instead of just say, fall on me. Well, you know what happens when the rock falls on you? <laughs> Not good. How can I look at something and become that if I'm not looking at something to become that? Now, all throughout Scripture you see this. I just shared with Abram. Now, Abraham, Abram was interesting because of the promise he had been given. But this is what the Lord said. Genesis 17, 5, he says, No longer should your name, no longer is your character going to be Abram. Why? Because you have a destiny, and I have to change you so you're more like me so you can fulfill that destiny. 
No longer is your name going to be Abram, which means exalted father. I'm changing it to Abraham, a derivative of the name of the father, Yahweh. So now he takes on a facet of the character of the father, and his character change means father of a multitude. You follow this all through Scripture, that God wants to change your character to be like him so you can fulfill your destiny. It's not about an experience. It's about a process. Oh, great. I thought I was getting somewhere. <laughs> Hurry up, God. That's the army. Hurry up and take your time. used to laugh about that in the military. So what's your, what's your name? Bruce Wade Allen. My middle name is Wait. You got to wait for everything. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. So then you have the story of Jacob at Jabbok. I love that story, wrestling with God. He has a prophetic destiny. He knew it. Just like all of you and me, he decided he's going to help God fulfill it. Let's deceive Daddy. So he blesses me. He already had the prophetic word that the elder would serve the younger, but they're going to help God. What did that lead to? Years yeah. in apostasy. Same with Moses. He's going to help God. What did that lead to? Forty years yeah. in the wilderness. Stop helping God. It makes a mess of your life. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. So Jacob, when he has his son, his birth, something shifts. This is what he said. I got to make right with Esau. So he's going to go back. He doesn't know if he's going to be received or murdered or wiped. He doesn't know. But he goes because he knows there's something that's got to be done, accomplished. So he goes. And he sends his family over and he, the dark night of the soul, he decides to wrestle with God at Jabbok. Jabbok means to be poured forth and become transparently empty. It's the dark night of the soul. This is where you divest yourself of all that you think you are, which isn't a whole bunch for all that he is, which is a whole bunch. And he wrestles with God. And, it, it, you know, he's wrestling. And the, this angel, this pre-incarnate Jesus says, let me go for the day dawns. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. He's passionate. No, no, let me go. No. Okay, fine. Now you're a cripple. How's that for a blessing? Well, you know what the blessing was? He'd gone his own way, done his own thing. All of his life, God said, now you've got to depend on me. How many of you want a blessing tonight? <laughs> See, we ask God for things. We don't fully understand what we're asking a lot of times. Yeah, but I love the passion of Jay. He said, I'm still not going to let you go. Thank you very little. I want a blessing. So the Lord says, okay, what's your name? What's your character? And you know, he's finally honest. He was a deceiver. His name means heel catcher, supplanter, and deceiver. I call him a used camel salesman. <laughs> he's finally, he's, he's poured forth. He's transparently empty. And he says, this is my character. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. And this is what the Lord said. No longer is that your character. But now your character is prince with God or one who reigns as God. He changed his character. And if you study scripture from that night on, everything he did and said changed. See, it's all about God being able to invest in you his character so you can fulfill your destiny. 
We could talk about Elijah, one of my favorites. We could talk about Amos. We could, all throughout Scripture, God had to do something extraordinary to change the character of the individual. Even Sarai became Sarah, another derivative of the name of God. Ah, she had a destiny. That's our calling. I love the story in Luke 15 of the praying prodigal. Certain men, these are parables of the kingdom. Certain man had two sons, Jew and Gentile, eldest and youngest. The younger said, Gimme, 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 gimme. My name is Jimmy, gimme. <laughs> Sounds like a charismatic church. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want all the I want this gift, I want that miracle. I want... And you know what? Now that that was an absolute insult to a father. Totally an insult. But this is a picture of God the Father. He still gifts them with this. Blesses them with it. What does he do? He takes it and he wastes it. Why? Because he's not mature enough to walk in what he should be walking in, his destiny. So he wastes it and he gets so low that he commingles with the world and he allows the world into his life. Kind of like the Madison Avenue marketing techniques we use in the church to make the church grow. We're going to have a church growth seminar. We're going to have Pastor Profound who's got a congregation of 20,000. I've, I've seen this and you know what? He'll come and tell you how he did it and they're furiously taking notes and okay, 12, yeah, blah, blah, we're going to go back and do this. That's idolatry. Now you're created in his image and not his image. Here's church growth seminar. 101. Get on your knees, fast, and pray, and ask God what you're supposed to do. You're to be created in His image, not their image. So, the prodigal ends up in this place of a pigsty. And listen to me, I'm saying this on purpose. That's the vast majority of the church. We've commingled with the world, we've become chameleons, not lights. We fit in and blend in very well. We don't want to offend. Well, you just offended God. But something happens in the midst of this. He's, he's beginning to die of starvation. He's dying because he doesn't have the life of the Father invested in him anymore. And he's cut himself off. He's severed himself from that. And he said, he, the word says he came to himself. I think it's time the church came to itself, came to its senses. He said, you know what? In my Father's house... Even the servants eat well. I know what I must do. I've got to go back to the Father and say, Father, forgive me. Here's the key. Make me a servant. He went from gimme, gimme, gimme to Father, make me. He comes back. The Father, who sees him coming a long way off, this filthy, stench-filled child, runs, grabs him. That's the end of the age. That's God saying, oh, my children are finally coming home. They're, they're stepping into the mature sons and daughters of God. And this is what the, he starts to rehearse and the Lord says, the father doesn't even let him finish. He says, bring out the best mantle and put it on him. Put the signet ring on his hand. He's entering into his full inheritance and destiny now. And put sandals on his feet. He's ready for the gospel of peace. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. Because my son who was dead, church, and gimme, gimme, gimme is now alive with Father make me. 
This is where we're headed. And that's the hungry remnant that's going to point the way. So let's look at a couple verses. How about, well, here's another one, Saul in Damascus. You know what Saul's name means? Significant one, sought after. You know what Paul means? Little. Character change. Now, Psalm 138.2 says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness. How are you going to know his loving kindness if you don't know his character? Because his character is loving kindness. I'm going to praise your character, the, the aspect of your loving kindness, and for your truth, for you have magnified your word even above the, all your name. Whoa, his word is higher than his character? I'll let you study on that one. I don't want to go there tonight. Matthew 6, 9 says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Character. Your character is to be revered, to be honored, to be respected. He says, Don't defile the character of the name of the Lord. Where was that? You're to honor God. Well, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but I'm getting late here. So, let, Wow, I am late. Whew. Good thing we don't preach by the clock or the calendar, but by the Spirit. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your character, with Christ-like character? Have we cast out demons with Christ-like character and authority? Hmm. Done many wonders with Christ-like character and authority? And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I don't see myself in this. Where two or more of you are gathered together in my character, there I am in the midst. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder why the world looks at the church and goes, you've got to be kidding. It's a religious club. Because we wave a principle, we wave this formula, in the name of Jesus. I'm not against praying in the name of Jesus. What I'm saying is you better understand what he means. Do you know apostasy? There's churches preaching apostasy, but they all gather in the name of Jesus. And he's nowhere to be found. Ichabod is written on a lot of those places. My spirit has departed. Why? Because it's not a formula. It's a principle. You're to become like Him. If you ask anything with Christ-like character, He'll give it to you. Why? Because you won't ask amiss to consume it upon your lusts. Well, how can you say that? Because your character is just like Jesus. How about this one? At the name, the character of Jesus, every knee bows. Every tongue confesses. He's Lord. What does that look like? You know, some years ago, we were in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and we, I said to my, our friends there, don't be surprised as you're walking down the street and all of a sudden demons begin to manifest. 
And they kind of looked at each other. The husband and wife kind of went, you know, they, I mean, this was all new to them. And I am Canadian, so, you know. <laughs> and we walk in down the, and all of a sudden this guy brushes past me, enters into the telephone booth. They still had those there. That was cool. He turned around. He looked like Marilyn Manson. And in this demonic voice, he said, go. And they went, dear God, what is that? I said, it's just a demon. <laughs> Did you deliver him? No, God didn't tell me to. I'm under authority. I only do what I... I understand authority. I was in the military. If he doesn't say to do it, I don't do it. Otherwise, it's a dead work, and he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. Ooh. So they kind of looked at each other and went, mm, we kept walking. And then you could see it kind of go, yeah, coincidence. And we're about this far, two young ladies standing around the, talking. And we got this close, and all of a sudden they jumped us straight in the air and let out a blood-curdling scream, and in midair, phew, and they went, what's that? I said, it's just demons. See, the character of Christ, what happened when Jesus stepped on the island of Gennesaret? The demons ran screaming and fell at his feet. He didn't have to go through a litany and a formula. He was. Why? Because he came in the name of the Father, the character of the Father, that's what he came to model and demonstrate to the world, the character of the Father. That's what you're called to minister to the world, the character of God. And yeah, miracles will follow that. Good works will follow. Everything will follow the character. Because listen, we were talking about this back in the 70s when I went to the Almost the God Bible College. I also worked at TBN. <laughs> so during the day, I'm learning all sorts of stuff. And in the evening, I worked on the life TBN show, you know, praise the Lord. That was even more of an education. I mean, you you got the full mix there, the whole spectrum. I mean, there were God that people that came that God just oozed out of them. It was like, wow, like Arthur Blessed, man, he was awesome. Dr. Richard E. B. Betty Ma. I mean, I could go, but there were people on there. I was shocked could even get up there and minister. I mean, one guy I won't mention names, but before the show, he walked up. We were at the sound mixer and, and he walked up and says hey you guys want to hear a joke okay this guy's been on the show a lot and he told a joke that would make a sailor blush and I went then he got up and preached powerful anointing I said God how can that be he said it's a gift I gave it to him he became proficient in it that doesn't mean I approve of how he uses that or what and I definitely don't approve of his character but he's exercised the gift he's good at it so you can have a measure of anointing without character. But if you cultivate character, you'll have, a, you'll have the power, the anointing, the, the, the grace of God on your life without measure. Because you can be trusted with it. Don't get me started on the gospel of mammon. There was a guy that came on one night. He had been a former tank commander. I mean, a brilliant strategist. He'd, God had given him some stuff and Paul and Jan decided to stay home that night, and he was the guest host, so called in and told me to tell him we want to stretch another half hour and keep going because this is really good. So I told him, oh, gonna, he, he got this look on his face like, so after the show, he's getting coming off the set, and he said, I worked too long and too hard to give this stuff away for free. And I, I, I wasn't even, th out of my spirit, I said, well, I got a nickel, and I went, oh. Uh. I knew I was going to be fired. And he looked at me daggers, man. See, so I saw 
I saw the lack of Christ-like character, and I saw a mixture. That was more of an education, if you will, than going, just sitting in a classroom in Bible college. And it taught me something. There's, there's something lacking in the body of Christ, and it's the character of our Jesus. Amen. But it's changing. Amen. So why is this foundational? Because if you want to walk in the powers of the age to come, the mysteries that God's releasing, you've got to lay the foundation. He can't trust. You can't give a two-year-old a loaded forty-five Magnum. I mean, that's basic. I mean, we, God cannot entrust to we ones the powers of the age to come. It'll destroy them. That's why mature sons and daughters are coming forth at the end of the age. People that have established character of Christ within them, and they're going to shift and change everything. And the world's going to know God's in you of a truth. You're not even going to have to say, I'm a Christian. They're going to go, oh, that's a Christian right there. How can you tell? Because they glow. That's where we start. Is that okay? Yes. Uh, I could go on and on all night with this stuff, but one last thing, and we'll finish. It says in Revelations 2.17, that you're going to be given a white stone with a new name written on it that only you and he know. Do you know in judicial, uh, the judicial system of the day, if you went before the, the, the elders at the gate and they would mitigate between you and somebody else, if they find you not guilty, they would give you a white stone that spoke of purity and you're clear, your, your conscience is clear, you can go in peace. So when he gives you a new name, a new character, written on a white stone, he means you're spotless. You're pure. You're clean. And only you and he know the name. How could that be? Because you're the only one that's walked out your life. You're the only one who understands how you got from here to here in, in completion. So we might see an end result, but you're the only one that understands that. I, what I've shared, I can give you snippets. You don't have the whole picture. That's what that signifies. God's giving each one of us a, a new name written on a white stone. They're overcomers. And again, I can go back to the, rev the, the, the remnant, the passionate few, the bridal company of believers in combat boots. They're the ones. They're going to be released because they have a union with Jesus. He not only gives them their, his name, what happens when you get married, your character, but he entrusts to them everything because they're one. The world's been waiting for this. All of creation is groaning. You know, everybody says, you hear the strange sounds coming out of the air. Well, you know what? I said, Lord, what is that? I mean, it sounds like trumpets, right? He said, all of creation is groaning. The same word in Scripture that's used when you're interceding with groanings that cannot be articulated in, in human language, it's the same groaning that creation is doing right now. They're groaning. They're interceding for mature sons and daughters to come forth. Every time you hear about this, re just remember, creation's interceding for you to grow up and set it free. Amen. That was introduction. We, st we still friends? Let me pray for you. Father, I <laughs> guess I'm long-winded. Father, I ask that you would take the truth of what I conveyed and establish it in the good soil of their heart. 
Lord, you said at the end of the age you're doing a quick work. This doesn't have to take them years to walk out as it did me because my ceiling is their floor. So I invest in them the revelation you have given me and I ask that it takes hold and you do a quick work in them. Lord, brokenness comes to all of us and we have seasons of that. We have seasons at Jabbok, seasons at Mount Horeb, desolation and despair, but it's all to conform us to your image and your likeness. Father, give them the grace to walk this out with joy, knowing what's set before them. Bless them with the strength that comes through communion with you, union with you. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.